Well, let me begin by uh, welcoming everyone who's here, and I know that we have visitors with us, so we're glad you're here, and we want you to come back, want to come back at every opportunity you have. If you haven't filled out a visitor's card, you should see one just in front of you, and we'd like to have a record of you being here, so you can fill that out and hand it to me as you, uh, as you leave uh, at the end of the service. But uh, we're glad you're here. This morning, we're going to continue to look at our theme, obviously, from what you see uh, above me here. This quarter, we are talking this year about being holy. And um, our theme verse, of course, is 1 Peter 1 and verse 16. You shall be holy, for I am holy. This quarter, we are focusing on the idea of being holy, and you'll notice, in my weakness. I'm going to say a lot about that this morning. And I'm going to look at uh, several things about it. But I want to talk about something, a word, and if you don't know this word, don't worry about it. This is one of my crazy words. But it is a way of saying something I hope to get a point across. And that is the idea of holification. Really, the word is sanctification. But the idea of sanctification literally means holification, and that is the process of becoming holy. And so that's what we're talking about. So I'm going to use that term quite a bit. The process of sanctification, the whole idea of sanctification, and we'll get right into it. Be holy in my weakness. Let me start by asking a question. I want you to picture in your mind, perhaps, when you obeyed the gospel, or you've certainly witnessed uh, a lot of times at the end of a service like this one, when Wes or I will give an invitation We sing an invitation song. Ed announced that a moment ago. Someone may come forward, and they may sit on the front row, and usually somebody will say something like, I want to be baptized. And so they're indicating that they are obeying the gospel. They're wanting to do what Jesus has said to do in order to become a Christian. So I want to ask a question this morning. What happens when a person like that comes up When they obey the gospel, perhaps you think about yourself when you did that. I certainly remember that day, February the 6th, 1977, when I did that. Long time ago now. But there are several things that are true when one does that. He certainly believes in Jesus Christ, and so he or she confesses that. And Wes or I, or someone, will usually ask a question like, Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He is the Christ, or something to that effect, to prompt someone to confess, yes, indeed, they believe in Jesus Christ. They will, in some way, in some fashion, state their intention of repenting. Now, last Sunday morning, and intentionally so, I prefaced this lesson by having a question and answer session on repentance. You may remember that we talked all about it, and I won't rehash all of that, but the most basic idea in repentance is that of changing. And so a person is saying, I want to change. I want to stop whatever it is I've been doing, whether that is a whole lot of things you've been doing that are not right, or it may be in your mind and in others' minds, very little. But whatever it is, you want to change that. And you want to grow, and so things that perhaps you don't even know yet, but you are certainly saying and willing to say whatever it is the Lord wants me to do, if He wants me to change and do something that I haven't been doing, I want to do that. And then a person is baptized. 
And baptism is specifically stated to wash away your sins. So anything you've ever done that's wrong is washed away. You're forgiven. You begin anew. You are born again. And all of that terminology, you certainly are saved, etc., etc., and you become a Christian. Now, several things are true of you at that time. When you come up out of the waters of baptism, and now you're a Christian, and you're born again, and all of those things, there are several things that are true. And if you notice this, this is just a smattering of things the New Testament would say. You are a saint. And a saint means you are a holy one. You are sanctified, and the word sanctified means to be set apart uh, by God and to God for Himself. You are a Christian. The word Christian literally means a Christite. You're an adherent of Christ, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. You are a spiritual person, for you have bought into what the Holy Spirit has delivered. You've believed it. You've accepted it. You have been given by God the Holy Spirit. You are a spiritual person. God would say and use terms like this, you are chosen. You are elect. You are now a member of the church, a vital member of His body, a a unique individual that serves as a very body member, if you will, of His body, the church. You are a citizen in the holy nation of God. You are a priest, a holy priest, 1 Peter chapter 2, in God's service. And we could go on and on and on with that. All of the terms that are used, and a person might not even realize all of that when they obey the gospel, but the more that they are impressed with what the New Testament says, the more sermons they hear, Bible studies they sit in, etc., you might be just like me. I didn't know hardly any of that. But you might be just like me and you say, a saint, a spiritual person, a priest, etc., etc., and you might say, wait, who, me? Because that just, in my mind, did not describe me. I saw myself as a sinner who needed God. I needed to be forgiven of a lot of terrible things. Things that you don't even begin to know. Many of those, the only person I've ever shared that with, besides the people most of the time that I did it to, I've only told Montel. Things that still haunt me. So for me to say... Christian, spiritual, holy, elect, certainly priest, that doesn't describe me. So I had to begin, and I think every Christian has to begin, a process of sanctification, or I'll call it holification holifying, if you will, myself, so that I would become holy. If you want a dictionary definition of sanctification, it will say this. It is the state of growing in divine favor. What does that mean? Well, if you want to put it very simply so a child can understand it, it means that God likes you better. God favors you more. God likes what you're doing and smiles at it. 
rather than grieving and crying over it. That's as simple as a child can understand. It's growing in divine favor as a result, and I want you to hear this, a result of Christian commitment after baptism or conversion. And believe it or not, that's a Webster's definition, not some theology book's definition. So here is the idea, and even the world understands, that even after baptism or conversion, you've got to start what we would say is a process of becoming more and more and more holy. And you've got to do that in your weakness. Now let me slow down for just a second here. Go back to that individual that comes up. I want to be baptized. I want to be a Christian. They go through that plan of salvation. They leave this place, maybe Sunday afternoon, maybe Monday morning. They go back to school. They go back to work. And life hits them. Because this is the same individual that walked up front with the same life, and they're going back to it. And all of the things that they were and all the situations that they were in and all the people they know and all the things they do are still the same. And that's the point. And so as we begin to look at that, I have to realize that following my baptism, I am still in my weakness. When I obeyed the Gospel, when I came up and I you know, told Dale Smelser, I want to be a Christian. I want to be baptized. And I went down into that water and I came up out of the water. When I went back home, I still was the same person. Now, you might say, no, that's not what God says. You're right. I was a new creature in Jesus Christ. I was a new man. I was saved. I was a Christian, a holy one, etc., etc. All of that is true. But inside me, my makeup, my mental patterns, my thoughts, the things that tempted me were still there. God knew that. Truth is, I knew that. And more importantly, Satan knew that. I told some folks downstairs in my class this morning. I told you a lot of times. Now, I was a thief. I stole I don't know how much in my life. And that's what I did. And I was, thought I was pretty good at it. And the truth is, it gave me an adrenaline rush and I liked it. Okay? And when I decided to be a Christian, I came home. And when I got home, nobody was there. Now at that time, I was living with my mom, my two brothers, my sister. They were all gone. And I walk in. And the first thing that hit me when I walked into the kitchen was there on the stove were two Reese's cups. Now, I got a passion for Reese's cups. You know, I, I told you that before. And I knew those Reese's cups belonged to my brothers. You know? Little voice inside me said, nobody's here. Take those Reese's cups. Another voice inside me said, wait a minute. You're a Christian. You don't steal anymore. I told some people downstairs, they said, you know, it's not that Satan opened the front door of a bank at 3 o'clock in the morning. No. No, he 
put two Reese's cups on a stove so I could take a little thing. You've got a choice when you become a Christian. You can choose to change your life and realize that you're going to have to go through a process of changing. You're going to have to have that conversation and that little war with yourself 10,000 upon 10,000 times. Do this. No, I'm a Christian. I don't do that. And you're going to fail sometimes, and we're going to talk about that. But there are going to be plenty of times in this process of changing, you are going to be victorious, and you are going to get to the point where no longer does the voice call out, hey, take the Reese's Cups, because Satan is basically saying, what's the use? Dude is not going to take the Reese's Cups. So let me move on to something else, right? It's a process. I'm still in my weakness. I still have all of my weaknesses when I come up out of the waters of baptism, even though I'm called into a holy relationship with my Lord. And I not only can be, but I want you to understand we have to be, I must be holy in my weakness, not in spite of it. Because here's what can happen. You can make a decision that you are going to overcome the weaknesses. You are going to deal with them, face them, acknowledge them, etc. We'll talk a little more about that. But you're going to deal with them. And you begin the process of changing. Or you can do like most people do. And you can have your Christian life. When you go to church, you dress up, you act a certain way, you talk a certain way, you learn the answers, you learn the things that I put up there, like saint and priest and all of that kind of thing. And if it comes up in Bible study and Bible class, you can answer it. You may even get to the point where you leave the singing or do the preaching or whatever it might be, but you are still in sin. And you know And so you keep it separate. And you have your life of sin that you go to, and you have your life of Christianity you go to, and the two diverge. Or, you can say to yourself, that's not going to be me. And you can begin the hard process of growing and conquering sin. I want you to read a passage with me in Romans chapter 7. Not everyone agrees with me about Romans 7 of what this passage means, but I take it to be personal, and I take it to be a personal statement by the Apostle Paul. Certainly the application can be made from the passage, and I think we can all see that, but I want you to listen to the struggle. And I think this is a holy person in their weakness going through the process of sanctification. Beginning with verse 14 of Romans 7, we know... The law is spiritual, but I am carnal, or fleshly, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I do, or what I hate, rather, that is what I do. Now, I don't know if that describes you or not. Ever at any time that you do things you literally hate, if it does, I think you join the ranks of a lot of good people who have gone before you. And that might be Noah getting drunk. It might be Lot committing incest. It might be a host of other things. What I hate is what I do. 
If then I do that which I would not do, I consent unto the law that it is good. And you know, that's what you really say. Every time you sin, and every time you hate it, and every time you feel bad about it, what you are really consenting to is God's way was better all the time. And I should have done that. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Verse 17, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me, my weakness. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me. And I think there are people, I think I am one of them, who lives with the will to serve God daily. I really want to be good, to be right to do everything I'm supposed to do 100% of the time, every day. But I don't. And so, Paul said, the good that I would, I do not, verse 19. But the evil which I would not, that's what I do. Now, if I do that that I wouldn't do, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find in a law, a principle is the idea, that when I would do good... Guess what? Evil is present with me. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. It's what I love. I feel better about me. I feel good about me when I do what's right. And that's what I want to do. But I see another law, another principle in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Now this would be to me a good person who wants to do right, but who recognizes, I am weak. And I give in to it. And so Paul said, O wretched man that I am, verse 24, who shall deliver me. And that's the point. I don't want to stay in it. I don't want to live like this, at least not as weak as I am at this moment, for the rest of my life. Who's going to deliver me? Jesus is. But it's going to take a lot of hard work. It's not going to happen as a miracle. It's not something that I'm just going to say, today I change. And it's all over. Some things may change like that. But not everything. Because there will be competition from the things of the world. The passage that was read for us a moment ago, 1 John chapter 2. And we will revisit that passage. But love not the things of the world. Those will be the things that draw me away from God. When I know that I am to draw nearer. James 4, draw near to me, God says. And I will draw near to you. We'll come back to that idea several times this quarter. And I may even have to deal with some serious personal issues. Weakness that becomes an addiction. We're going to talk about addiction for a second. There are conventional addictions. Some of you are well aware of that. Many of us are, if you want to know the truth. And an addiction can be to food. That's mine. One of mine, anyway. It can be to some substance, alcohol or drugs. It can be to something like pornography. It can be to fornication. It can be to all kinds of things. In fact, addiction is any strong and harmful need to regularly have something. And some people talk about literally being addicted to a game that they play. Or addicted to a hobby. Or even addicted to a person. Because I need that person. I've got to have that person. That kind of thing. It can be anything 
that there is a harmful need to regularly have it. It is an inordinate, that is out of the ordinary, or even extraordinary, that goes way above and beyond what is normal, an interest in something. And that's why we see people whose minds begin to deviate toward things that are just totally out of the ordinary. Jeffrey Dahmer, ring a bell. Anyone like that. And you begin to look at their life and it doesn't start with just going out and murdering people and eating them. No, it goes all the way back to things that people had an interest in even as a young child. And it was out of the ordinary. And it wasn't dealt with. There are people probably even here today. No fingers being pointed. But if you looked at something in your life that was a harmful need or interest and you began to look at yourself and say, where did it begin? It might have begun with a very small thing. I know it was for me. I know exactly what it was that led to some of those things I did. And they were little things. Almost harmless things. But they weren't harmless. And they grew. And they became very much an addiction. And so they're hard to deal with. Non-conventional addictions. And so we would ask ourselves, is there something in my life, in my heart, that's hurting me? And I know it is. But that I feel this great need to have it. And it may be a person, or it may be a thing, but I see myself going after it, chasing it. Gotta have it. I may have to deal with something like that. And if it's not that, some of you may be saying, no, I don't deal with that. Well, it might be even things that other people do that weaken me. You might be a very strong person if you could just be left alone, you know. You ever feel yourself looking around and saying, you know, if you would just leave me alone, I could be okay. But the truth is, people sin, they treat you badly. Sometimes they persecute you. They deliberately attack you because you're good. You may have to deal with some of that. And yet, I'm still a Christian. And I have to be recognized as a saint, as holy, as spiritual, as that elect individual, chosen, a priest in the service of God, etc. So how do you do that? If I'm dealing with all this stuff in my life, if I'm dealing with my own weaknesses, if I'm falling prey to the things that I don't even want to do, if I'm consumed with all of that, where is there the time or the opportunity for somebody to see a Christian in me, a priest in me, a holy person in me? And that's why I say you have to be holy in your weakness. Because see, here's the deal. You can take all that stuff and you can be consumed with it and you can say, if I ever get all that right, if I ever conquer all that, if I ever get beyond all of that, then I'll be that Christian spiritual priest in God's service. But God is not telling you that. God is not saying... You go through the process of change and then you can serve me. God is saying, you be holy even in your weakness. When we look at Romans here, 
if indeed this is Paul. Well, this is 25 years after he obeyed the gospel. This is most of the work in the New Testament that you see with the Apostle Paul. Most of it has already been done. He is 25 of about 35 years that he lived after being baptized. He's 25 years into it, and he's still saying this. Paul was holy in his weakness. Holification, sanctification if you prefer, requires some things. And we're going to come back to this. I'm going to close with it this morning. But it's the idea of concession. And that's where it begins. You acknowledge. You admit. You're honest. There's an any arrogance, no pride. Matthew 5 and verse 3, Jesus started with, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's where it begins. It's like Psalm 32, and I'd like for you to turn there and read that with me quickly. Psalm 32, and notice what uh, David says, and this is most likely, many people think, after his sin with Bathsheba, but this is what David said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord does not impute his iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile, no deceit, honest, No arrogance, no pride, admitting where he is. When I kept silence, when I had sinned and I didn't do anything about it, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day. You know, an honest person, when his conscience is bothering him, he doesn't have a good day. It tears him up inside. Day and night, your hand, God, was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto you, and my iniquity have I not hid. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now notice verse 6. For this, that is, a sinful person going to God and being honest, confessing and begging forgiveness, that is what everyone that is godly prays to God. Godly people recognize it starts with concession. I have to concede the fact that I am weak. And then there is commitment. And I mean true commitment. And we're going to talk about that and really explore that. And even talk about how I might go about in a practical sense of doing that. But the point is, I pledge to repent. I know I did it almost 40 years ago. You more than likely, if you're a member of the church here, in some fashion, you pledged repentance. You said, I am going to change my life, I'm going to live my life for Jesus. And it's being true to that commitment. It's as much as we talked about, you know, adultery last Sunday night. It's as much as when an individual says to himself or herself, I married that person I pledged, I vowed, I said all of those things, and I'm going to keep my word. This is a Christian saying, I'm going to keep my word to Jesus. Rather than saying, that's just the way I am. Or, we're all human. Or, I can't help it. No one can help it. Or maybe even the devil made me do it. It is a pledge to really change life. In Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Seven years later, he wrote Romans and said, The good that I would do, I don't. It's honesty. Living up to the commitment. Going back to what you pledge. And finally, it is continuation. Because regardless of my failure, and I will stand up here and I will tell you, if you ask me in the last 39 years, how great a job have you done at what you're talking about? I will tell you lousy. A lousy job at it. But I will also say to you, I haven't quit. I'm still trying to continue what I started. And that's what we're talking about. Regardless of your failure, regardless of your achievement. Because you have both. You can say, man, Michael, you failed at this and this and this and this and this and you've been failing for all these years. Why, can, why keep trying? You can do that. Or you can look at yourself and pat yourself on the back and say, boy, you don't do that anymore. You don't do that. You don't do that. You don't, and you're not like that person or that one or that one. And neither one is going to get you where you need to be. I want to close by reading in Psalm 71. I'd like for you to turn there with me and read this. And we're not going to read all these verses, but I want you to see some things again. The psalmist said, Psalm 71, and start with me in verse 5. You are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. By you I've been held up from the womb. You are he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. I am as a wonder unto many, but you are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and set thy honor all the day. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Don't forsake me when my strength fails. You'll notice he goes on to say in verse 12, O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste for my help. Let them that be confounded and consumed that are the adversaries to my soul, let them be covered with reproach and dishonor that seek my hurt. But I will hope continually. And I will still praise thee more and more. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth. And from this point on have I declared, or from that point on have I declared thy wondrous words. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not. That's honesty. That's an individual that even when he's old, is still pressing on. And that's what we want to talk about. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, when we say we want you to come up, we want you to obey the gospel, we mean we want you to be honest. If you believe in Jesus Christ, confess your belief in Him. Be willing to change your life. And everything that that entails, what that takes, change your life. Be baptized. Have your sins washed away. Let God forgive you. And let God be there in your life to help you. That's what we're talking about. Won't you please come? Follow that, please.